0: The best of the week on relevant radio. People are really shocked by this. The rave in the nave. What am I talking about? Well, Canterbury Cathedral, which used to belong to the Catholic Church, it, it doesn't now. It's in an, it's an Anglican hands. But St. Augustine of Canterbury, who was really the apostle to England, goes back to those days. It was used essentially as a nightclub, rave music was happening. Now, somebody who was really personally upset by this was Edward Penton. He wrote he wrote the story about this for the National Catholic Register. He's a very well known, very well respected Vatican correspondent. Edward Penton is actually from Canterbury. He grew up there, and he had to go check this out for himself. So this took place very recently, and 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 this rave in the nave. It was a little. There's a little bit different from the usual kind of rave because. They weren't blasting music. It was actually a silent disco, quote-unquote. And a lot of these are popping up in cathedrals all over the UK. Let Edward Penton tell the story here, because he he went to check this out. He, uh, He said, quote, As someone who was born and raised in Canterbury and attended a school in the cathedral precincts, I was shocked at the sight I beheld, one that I and many of my contemporaries would scarcely have imagined. Strobe lights lit up the nave with colors of the rainbow as three DJs stood behind their computers at the foot of the rude screen. Now, the rude screen is something in the cathedral. I'll explain that later. Playing music to the bopping partygoers through their wireless neon lit headphones. This was a so-called silent disco. One of many being held in cathedrals up and down the country and billed as a chance to, quote unquote, have fun in special places without necessarily causing a noisy disruption, and to raise money for their upkeep. So that, that's sort of the, the flip side of this, if there is one. That the, the good intention here is that this was a fundraiser for the cathedral. So what was going on, though? What kind of music was being played by these DJs into people's wireless headphones? So they weren't blasting music. Everybody was receiving it wirelessly. But there was a lot of singing going on, and, and what they were hearing was not Christian music. And this is what he did. Edward Penton says, quote, squeezing past revelers as they swigged cocktails purchased from makeshift bars in the nave, just yards away from where Saint Thomas Becket was brutally slain in defense of the faith and the church, I made my way up through the heaving crowd as songs played silently through their headphones. The partygoers would occasionally chant well known song lyrics that jarringly reverberated from the cathedral's hallowed arches and balustrades outside the cathedral's medieval front gate around 20 faithful mostly catholics but also some orthodox evangelicals anglicans and even some atheists and agnostics gathered in the pouring rain but in good spirits to protest against the rave in the nave with prayers hymns and the reading of holy scriptures was this an example of that which is sacred? being profaned. Well, this is a this is an incredibly historic place by the way, Canterbury Cathedral. And again, this goes back to St Augustine of Canterbury who evangelized the English. And he's a, he's actually a great story if you don't know much about St Augustine of Canterbury. He was sent by uh, Gregory the Great to evangelize the English way back in the year 597 AD. Actually his life contains a great lesson of faith for us as well. When he was sent out by Pope Gregory to evangelize the Anglo-Saxons, you know, Augustine of Canterbury, he was a, he was a monk and there were 40 monks that were sent out and, and they were like almost there. They were almost at what is now England. And they went to Gaul, which is in modern day France. And and they were kind of galled when they were in Gaul because they kept hearing all these legendary stories about the Anglo-Saxons and how fearsome they were how, I mean, you, you don't want to fight these people. And then they, they were also hearing terrible accounts of the English Channel. You're not going to be able to cross it. The waters are too rough. And Augustine's like, I'm out of here, man. He just said, I'm bailing on this project. And he went back to Rome and Gregory the Great said, what are you guys doing? <laughs> Stop being a scaredy cat. Get get back out there. Get back out there. Fear not. And so he said, okay, okay I'll give it another try here. So he he goes back, and it, I guess this, this sounds a lot like the Israelites sending the spies into the land, like Caleb and all those guys, saying, um, you know, hey, there's giants in the land, you know, I'm scared, I don't know, I don't know if we can take these guys. And, and that's exactly what, what St. Augustine was thinking about the Anglo-Saxons. But he went back again, and this time, they discovered their fortitude, they steeled themselves, they crossed the English Channel, and they, they wound up in the territory of Kent. That's where Clark Kent is from. Anyways, Kent at the time was ruled by King Ethelbert, who was a pagan guy, and he was married to a Christian named Bertha. And all of Augustine's fears, he had worked this whole thing up in his mind, these guys are going to kill us, we're going to get martyred, you know, this is going to be awful. And none of that stuff happened. In fact, King Ethelbert was like, welcome, I'm so glad to see you guys. And he actually received them, he was really nice to them, he set up a residence for them. And within one year, on Pentecost Sunday, in the year 597, he got baptized, King Ethelbert. He he also became a Catholic. So all his worries were unfounded. And sometimes that happens to us, doesn't it? Like we we build things up in our minds, and we, we're so afraid uh, whether it's something that God wants us to do. And I don't know. He kind of turn around and run away. But it's kind of like the Quo Vadis moment, you know, with Peter. I mean, where are you going? <laughs> Get back here. And uh, Augustine was was eventually consecrated as a bishop, and he went back to Canterbury, and he founded the see. Of Canterbury became the first bishop, started building the church, and that's where the present cathedral is, which is magnificent. I've never seen it with my own eyes. Maybe you have, but it was begun in the year 1070 A.D. So this, this is old. I mean, this is well over millennia old, and uh, that's where the faith really took hold in the U.K. But it was it was tough though. Like he, he didn't always have great success, even though the king got baptized. A lot of the Anglo Saxons were were very hesitant. Uh, He failed in a lot of his apostolic missions, Augustine of Canterbury. There were a lot of Brits that were big into the the Celtic customs. They were big fans of the Celtics, not the Celtics, not the Boston Celtics, but they were Celtic. They were spelled the same way. It's the Celtic customs. And they were kind of like pagan customs that were not in coherence with the Catholic faith. And that was tough for him. But... What he tried to do was he tried to take the pagan festivals that they had and he tried to transform them into feasts of faith. And he tried to kept the customs as much as he could unless it was something that went completely against the faith. Which is kind of interesting. Like He, he took pagan things and made them Catholic. That's kind of what happens to all of us. We were all pagans who were made Catholic, were baptized pagans, if you will. But but what's going on right now in Canterbury Cathedral it's exactly the opposite. they're taking a christian faith and they're they're letting pagan rites flow freely there along with the drinks. Augustine of Canterbury had sort of middling success apostolically, a lot of hits and misses. The fact that he went there, the fact that he got the church planted there, he died in six o five a d but but eventually England got converted and and that's why he's the apostle of the UK. A lot of very human things that we can take note of that we can we, we can kind of identify with this guy, I think. And of course, the other great saint who is very much involved, very much associated with the cathedral in Canterbury is Thomas Becket who was martyred there. Thomas Becket, interestingly enough, when he was a young guy, he he was kind of he had issues. He had issues. He was proud, he was arrogant, he w- he was a man of vanity. But in later life, after he God got a hold of him, he became incredibly devout, incredibly pious, one of the greatest archbishops of all time. Interestingly enough, this man ultimately had a hand in his death. His best friend, when he was younger, was a guy named Henry, who eventually became King Henry II of England. They They hung out together, despite the fact that they were kind of from different socioeconomic backgrounds, obviously. Henry would eventually become king. Thomas Beckett was born in the cheap side. Despite their sort of socioeconomic differences, he hung out a lot with Henry when they were kids and young men. They used to hunt together. They used to play chess together. And friends who knew them said they were, they, they, it was like they had one heart and one mind. They were just like, they were totally on the same page. And so, 21 years old. That's how old Henry was when he became king. And he said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make Thomas Beckett my chancellor. And, you know, we're pals. We work well together. We have fun together. Let's do it. And so he, that's what exactly what he did. He made Thomas Beckett the chancellor. And they both were like extremely hard workers. And they, they just tried to bring law and order in, in, into Henry's kingdom, if you will. And by the way, this is when... The law really kind of got into the British countryside, if you will, trial by jury. That just became a thing. Like they, The king's judges used to travel all over the place administering cases and, and upholding the law. But here was the problem, and this is eventually what, what led to the death of Thomas Beckett. The church, of course, has its own system of law called canon law. And, and it, really what this was all about in the end is the separation of church and state. And so essentially um, Henry wanted to bring the church under his control. When, when he became king, he sort of said, you know what? I, I kind of need the church to, to be subservient to the king. And so he said, the best way I can do this is by promoting my friend, Thomas, who's the chancellor. I'm going to make him the new archbishop of Canterbury because the archbishop had passed away. I'm going to install him as archbishop and then he'll do whatever I want him to do. And then I'll be able to... Just kind of have things my way. But it's, a funny thing happened. Because as soon, as soon as Thomas Beckett put on the robes of the archbishop, it's like poof, a supernatural change took place. The grace of the ordination, if you will. And he became a super ascetic. He started wearing a sackcloth. Uh, it was really uncomfortable. It went all the way down to his knees. His diet was super, super austere. It was, he was kind of like he was living Ash Wednesday every day. Um, he would only drink water, so he became like super pious, super prayerful, super ascetic. But they were, they were still friends, King Henry and Becket. But at one point, the confrontation came to to a head because some supporters of the king said, "You know what? Really, Thomas is not loyal to you, O King. He's actually a traitor." And, and Thomas is like, "Man, my life is in danger here." So he actually like he went to France to hide out for a little while. He spent six years in exile. And then he thought, okay, things have calmed down a little bit. The political situation's kind of, so he, it's safe to go back. So he goes back to Canterbury and he starts like excommunicating some bad bishops. And on Christmas day in, in, in the year 1170, he excommunicated some of his fellow bishops. And he said, may they all be damned by Jesus Christ. Wow, he really, he really laid, laid the wood to these guys. And Henry freaked out, King Henry freaked out when he heard about this. And he said these words, which he would later come to regret. And and I don't know whether he said them out loud or he muttered them, or he said, well, no one rid me of this troublesome priest. Well, no one rid me of this guy. And some of his knights who were there, and maybe they weren't that smart. They actually heard him say this and they thought he actually wants us to kill him. Well, no one rid me of this turbulent (laughs) priest of Thomas Beckett. And so... All right, let's take him out. So they went to Canterbury Cathedral on December the 29th. They found Beckett praying before the high altar. It was Vesper's time. And one of the knights struck him on the shoulder with his sword. And uh, I guess it it didn't kill him. And it was kind of with the flat part of his sword. And then he he stood up and he basically said, what are you guys doing? And then they, that's when they attacked him and they, they just murdered him as grizzly. And Henry was Livid, and he was he was a, he was absolutely beside himself when he heard that that, that Beckett had been killed. That wasn't his intent, and he actually put on sackcloth and ashes, and and, and did penance and starved himself for three days because of this tragic uh, death of his friend. And so immediately Beckett was, was hailed as a martyr, and he was canonized in eleven seventy three, and that's where. He was interred, Canterbury Cathedral in England, a huge place of pilgrimage. But unfortunately, King Henry VIII, another King Henry, when he started the the British Reformation, the English Reformation in 1540, he ordered the bones of St. Thomas Becket to be destroyed and all mention of him to be obliterated from the record. So that's the great tragedy. But it was only steps from where the blood and more (laughs) spilled out of the body of Thomas Beckett, that's where this rave in the nave was taking place, and that's why so many people are are absolutely aghast at this. and, and my thanks to Ben Johnson for um, the info on Beckett there and his background. Let me just uh, read to you really quickly what some of these protesters are saying. Uh, Edward Penton, uh, who's from Canterbury, was aghast at this as well. And one of the people that was interviewed was Dr. Kajatin Skoronsky, uh, who's a young Catholic doctor from Sussex, which is nearby. And he actually organized the prayer vigil, and he said, quote, It's a very misguided move by custodians of the cathedral who should know better than to be using this in this profane way. He said, I've got nothing against people enjoying themselves in nightclubs, but this is a cathedral, a place of prayer. This is the same place where St. Thomas Beckett's brains were spilled onto the floor, and someone's going to spill a rum and coke tonight where he spilled his brains onto the floor. It's an awful thing to consider end of quote does this anger you as much as it angered these people like what you've just heard share it with your family and friends and thanks for listening